Hello, hello. Post-production MJ here. A warning and a sincere apology from us uh, before you listen to the episode. We totally messed up the sound and we don't know why, but for some reason, one of the audio files got corrupted or just for whatever reason, the setup was wrong or something. We don't know why. One of the audio files was a little weird. So, so sorry about that. We believe that this is the only episode that has this issue and please accept our sincerest apology. And now for the show. Take a moment to consider all the factors that impact your health. What comes to mind? Your diet, perhaps your lifestyle, like whether you exercise, drink, or smoke. Maybe you thought about your family history of diseases like cancer or diabetes. But health and well-being go beyond that. The field of public health is about thinking broader, thinking beyond the individual, about how our built environment affects us, how laws and policies impact us, and how the social forces influence our behavior and well-being. Each week, this podcast will discuss one topic from the wonderful world of public health to reveal these ubiquitous hidden forces and artifacts. One episode at a time, we will show how public health is all around us. Welcome to Everything is Public Health. Everything is Public Health. Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. So, have you seen, I mean, it's over now, but have you seen Sherlock, the BBC version of Sherlock? No. So if you if you don't know this show, the quick recap is it is basically Sherlock, but imagined in the modern setting. So it's modern London, but Sherlock Holmes, Watson, stuff like that. Uh, it's played by Benedict Cumberbatch. And he... Oh, okay. I've heard about it. I just haven't yeah, seen it. You just haven't seen it. But it's the show that propelled him to stardom, right? That's the show. Okay. It's a very popular show. I've seen all of it. It's very well written. So I highly recommend if you don't know it, go watch it. It's fantastic and in one of the episodes i believe is the last episode of season three but you know again don't quote me on this the main villain is called charles augustus magnuson and he is a ingenious and professional blackmailer so he knows everyone's dirty secrets he he knows how to control people because he knows all these things and he went after sherlock and there's this the whole episode plays out where the final confrontation is sherlock trying to well, how do you defeat a blackmailer? Well, you defeat a blackmailer by destroying the evidence that they have, right? That's how you defeat a blackmailer. Right. So Sherlock tries to do that. And Charles Augustus Magnuson, being the evil genius that he is, he says, oh, that is not possible because all the evidence that I have is in my vault and no one can enter my vault. And he said that in like a very cryptic way. And spoiler alert, spoiler warning. Basically, his vault is his mind palace. Are you familiar with the concept of mind palace? No. So it's basically for a person to remember every possible thing. It's basically you construct a virtual palace in your head. And that's how memory champions remembers like three decks of cards in a row. Oh, okay. Right. So that's how people remember like long stretches of uh, someone has remembered the entire work of Shakespeare using the mind palace method. So it's like a virtual visualization of your memory. Cool. That's what a mind palace is. So he says no one can access my vault because the vault is in my head. Like I have perfect memory of every video, every document. Like when he says perfect, like he could recreate the document from scratch because he has such a great memory and such a great mind palace. Okay. And that's kind of the thing. So you can't destroy the evidence because the evidence is all in his head. And at this point, and Sherlock figured this out too. So, but at this point, even before Sherlock had his final reveal, I thought to myself, so you're telling me that all the evidence that you have on other people is in your head. You're basically telling me that if I kill you... Right? That's immediately what I thought. 
everything's gone. <laughs> okay, so I just, like, you don't have backups somewhere where if something bad happens to you, it gets released? Yeah, there's no fail save. There's no, like, alarms <laughs> that you, you trigger and something happens. If everything is in your head, there's no physical copy whatsoever. Then I just kill you and then everything everything is gone. Well, I mean, you say that very nonchalantly. Like, it's a big deal to murder somebody, but I get your point. Like, it's, yeah. it's there's, like you do one thing. And the problem goes away. Yeah. So, and Sherlock figured this out. So Sherlock did end up killing him and therefore everything went away. But obviously Sherlock, because he literally committed murder, like he has hot water that he needs to get out of now. But so that's <laughs> that. <laughs> Sorry. What? We're two minutes in. What's going on? He murdered someone. And now he has some hot water he has to get out of. I'm sorry. <laughs> Murdering someone is a bigger deal than I think could be classified as hot water. You're absolutely correct. Like, I'm like, oh, you, you like, you took a cookie from the jar. You're in hot water. <laughs> Not, you know, murder. Go with that saying. Not, you murder. Oh, man. Um, and the reason why I thought of this example when I wanted to do this episode, because it, it really highlights the concept that's called single point of failure. So if you design a system where everything eventually relies on one thing, so in the case of Charles Augustus Magnuson, he designed this elaborate blackmailing empire, but everything is in his head. So single point of failure, these are generally not good and should be avoided because if that thing fails, then everything fails. Another good example I can think of from TV is Designated Survivor. Do you know that show? Yes. So the premise of that show is, I, I don't know if this is a real thing. It, it is. It is. So like my example that I love the best is Battlestar Galactica. Well, so everyone on Earth, wherever, was in some big meeting except for the, I don't even know what her title was, something for education, the, the director of education or whatnot. She was a designated survivor. Well, then the Cylons showed up, blew up everyone in the meeting. And so then suddenly this chick who was in charge of education is now the leader of everyone in Battlestar Galactica because she was a designated survivor. Yeah. So that illustrates a failsafe that was put in to prevent a single point of failure. Well, you can think about like maybe a little bit more concrete example. Like you think about a manufacturing plant. Let's say you're making soda, right? So you have a bunch of machines that produce the soda. You've got a bunch of machines that put the soda in the bottles. But then if you only have one machine that puts a cap on each soda bottle, right? if something happens to the capping machine, you can't make soda. Like everything stops because your one machine is broken down. So if you have 10 machines doing everything else and only one doing the final step, you're at the mercy of that. That final machine, right. And this concept of redundancy plays a huge part into this concept that we're about to introduce, which is the Swiss cheese model. If you've seen Swiss cheese, like a classic image of a Swiss cheese, it has holes, right? That's kind of the hallmark of a Swiss cheese. And if you imagine a slice of Swiss cheese as a layer in your system that you're building, no system is perfect. So every system is bound to have weaknesses and therefore symbolized by the holes. If you have one slice of Swiss cheese as your system, eventually something's going to fly through one of those holes. So instead of having just one slice of Swiss cheese, you have a second slice, a third slice, a fifth slice. So if a problem were to slide through one hole on the first slice of Swiss cheese, you hope that the second slice of Swiss cheese, even though it has its own holes, will stop it. Right, because each layer in the system, like none of the holes perfectly align, or at least that's the, the goal. So even if you made it through two layers, there should be a third that sort of prevents the continuation 
that prevents the injury or the accident or the failure or whatever it is. Yeah. So basically, it's a the Swiss cheese model is a conceptual model that is used a lot in safety work, but you can see this in in security work. You see this in all sorts of places, but. It essentially introduces redundancy into the system, and it removes the single point of failure, right? And that is the whole point, right? And in the concept of sort of patient safety, which is one of the main areas, yeah, that's how I learned about yeah, it. Yeah, you don't want like humans make errors all the time. So the idea of the Swiss cheese, these different layers, are to keep like one human from making some grave error by putting different failsafes in place. Yeah, so I learned about this. Uh, when I started learning my patient safety stuff, I'm still very passionate about it. And in the past, the system was set up so that the surgeon was in control of everything. So the surgeon themselves were the single point of failure. And the assumption is that, well, these are highly esteemed, highly trained, highly respected people. Surely they perform perfectly, right? That was the assumption going in. Except that they're human. Except that they're human, right? So the system was designed in the way that it assumes the surgeon knows everything at all times. So there was no system in place that sort of catches their mistake should they make one. Because their assumption is that, well, they won't make a mistake because they're surgeons. And obviously, that was very, very, very problematic. Well, and people interacting with people make mistakes, right? So a surgeon may, or uh, or any physician, may write something. And we all know the sort of stereotype of surgeons having, or physicians having terrible handwriting. So if the physician writes something and someone reads it and you know, they may have to make an assumption about what was written, then that can lead to a mistake, right? Or if you assume that surgeons know everything and they go in because it's their patient and they're like, you know, cut open the wrong body part for surgery, right? Like it's, it doesn't make any sense now, historically, sure, but currently it doesn't make a ton of sense for the surgeons or the physicians to be kind of the, the sole decider about what is happening. Right. An example of this, a more concrete example, and one of my favorite example of this, of a system that is not built with the Swiss cheese model in, in mind. So imagine two operate, and this is a real case study, right? Imagine two operating rooms and they share like a central hallway, right? They share like a common space. They're connected by this common space, but there's two operating rooms on either side. And in that central hallway, there is one single fridge that holds, I forgot what it holds, but it holds something. And in that fridge, there is a top shelf and a bottom shelf. And then basically the system was on the, the top shelf, go to the operating room on the right and the bottom shelf, go to the operating room on the right. Left. Left. You just said both went to the right. <laughs> I just say right twice. And that is a system that was built with a single point of failure, like with no redundancy in mind, because the assumption is that whoever stocks this fridge or whoever takes things out of this fridge is perfect. They won't misread the labels. They won't forget what shelves go to what room because they're highly trained professionals. There's no way that they make mistakes like that. But if you think about it, if you just zoom out and think about it, it's like, why not just have two fridge? Right. Every time you add a human decision into a system, you have an opportunity for failure. Yeah. So if I have to walk up to the fridge and decide to, you know, not decide, that's not quite the right word, but like my action is required. I open the thing. I have to take something from the correct shelf, take it to the correct operating room. That's two places where I could have made a wrong choice and led to an error rather than if the fridge that goes to the right operating room is right outside the door 
And on the other side, the fridge that's for the left operating room is right outside the door. That way, if you're in that operating room, you know which fridge is the correct fridge, right? Like you don't have to rely on people being perfect all the time. Exactly. And one of the things I love about a Swiss cheese model is that even if, let's say the department only has money for one fridge and they can't get two fridges for whatever reason, the Swiss cheese model still works because they will come in and say, okay, that is obviously a system that could potentially have issue. Let's start building things behind it and in front of it. So a very simple solution or a very simple added layer of redundancy is to have a checklist. So every time you bring a new thing into the operating room, it is someone's responsibility to check it at the door and adding more layers of redundancy so that if a mistake were to happen at the fridge, it doesn't trickle down all the way to the patient. So thinking about a non healthcare example, when a plane takes off, there is a checklist of things that they have to go through. Mm -hmm. And if anything happens, if somebody gets distracted, if somebody makes a comment about, you know, their evening or their weekend or whatever, you full stop Mm -hmm. and you start over because the whole point is you need to move through this checklist because you've got hundreds of lives with you. And you can't make mistakes. And so that's why these processes are in place. And they've also set up a system where you can anonymously call and report concerning things that have happened, like a a near miss, like, okay, nothing bad happened, but this wasn't done properly. And that could have been a dangerous situation or a near miss, right? You, you sort of avoided the hazard, but it could have led to something bad. So, you know, we see these, this sort of redundancy model and checklists being used all over the place. Yeah. And this is, I don't know if it started in patient safety, but it's, it's a model that has been adapted in many fields. So another field that this, the Swiss cheese model have been adapted to is security. So you don't have one lock on something important, right? You have multiple locks on something important because that redundancy will catch his mistake if they fall through. So two-factor authentication have saved a lot of people a lot of pain from ransomware attacks or, I don't know, hacking into the, someone's account, right? Two-factors authentication. Did I tell you I used to work as a certified nursing assistant way back in the day? No, like this, you constantly surprise me with the, the spicy life that you have, but do tell. <laughs> so right out of college, so I'd applied to medical school I had interviewed a few places, didn't get in. So I was like, okay, well, let me work in the medical field for a little while and I'll reapply. So I ended up working for about three years as a nurse's aide. And this was in the early 2000s. And this was when uh, people were trying to make more of an effort to prevent medication errors. And so they rolled out a new system in a small community hospital that People were just not thrilled about. Can you, really quick, what is a medication error? So medication error could be a couple of things. It could be the wrong medication for the wrong patient. It could be the wrong dose of the right medication to the right patient. Also dangerous. It could be the wrong timing of a medication. So you don't give the medication at the right time, so maybe it's too soon or too late. So those are a few examples of medication errors. Right. And describe the system that they used to have. So it used to be physicians would handwrite medication orders and dosages, and then nurses would take the handwritten paper, it's written on the patient chart, they would go to the medication closet, drawer, whatever, pull the medications out, walk in and give the medications to the patient. Right. And let's let's stop there and break that down. Like on paper, that sounds like a very quote unquote streamlined process. It's like, yeah, like this is you just go from this person to that person and that person. But if you really think about it, that's also a lot of places where mistakes can happen and not enough 
redundancies in place to catch those mistakes, essentially. Well, another type of medication error I forgot to mention is like allergies or medication interactions. And so having things written on paper, you know, you don't always look back at people's allergies. You don't always know if there's a medication interaction because you're relying on people's knowledge in their head. And memory, yeah. And so that's another way, like if you give a drug that is contraindicated with another one or something that someone's allergic to, like you and the nurses, they, they see the doctor's orders. The doctor is supposed to know best and they would go do the medication. And, and I love that back in the days, nurses really stopped like a lot of doctors from killing patients because they are, they are always the last person to be like, this doesn't look right. Yep. So for the longest time, they were the redundancy. They were the, the second layer of Swiss cheese that caught a lot of things. But, you know, nurses are people too. Which put a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. That put a lot of pressure on nurses because they had a lot of responsibility for patient safety and well-being, but very little autonomy. So they had to be very careful about how they would raise issues to the attention of the physicians because, you know, they didn't want to piss a doctor off, but also they didn't want to kill a patient. Yeah, and this was this is a huge culture problem that healthcare has for, for decades where if you are a subordinate and you were to raise a safety issue, you essentially got blackballed and they were going to make your life very miserable if you were to bring it up. And that's very dangerous because then people don't want to bring it up and more mistakes happen, more people get harmed, some people die. And sorry, I, I interrupted you. So what is the new system that they put in? Right. So the new system, this came uh, along with electronic medical records. So uh, we had electronic medical records coming on and all of the patient medications and dosages were in these records. So when a physician wanted to order a new record, a new medication, excuse me, they would go into the patient record, put in the new medication and the dosage. If the dosage seemed wrong, like if it was only supposed to be five, but they put in 50, like things like that would pop in the system. So that was sort of one layer. But the most important part is that the nurses now had, we called it a carrot. There's probably a like an actual name for it, but we, we called it a carrot because it looked like an electronic carrot. And you would go in and tap the barcodes on the medications, tap or scan the barcode on the patient's wristband to verify that it was a right medication for the right patient. And then the nurse would, you know, verify the dose and give the medication to the patient. So you had lower likelihood that something would be written on the wrong chart or that the nurse may have grabbed the wrong medication for the wrong patient. And so it's trying to eliminate some of those errors that could be introduced when you're relying on humans. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why people would often push back against these security or these uh, sort of extra safety measure is because it seems like an extra step, right? Now I have to grab this carrot and now I have to like do this and that. And so a lot of people will push back against that. But the point is that those extra steps are redundancies that are put there on purpose because a, a good system is one that assumes that there will be mistakes. If you have a system that assumes no one makes any mistakes, that is where things can really go wrong because essentially the system is not designed to catch them should they occur. The thing is now, you know, this is 15, 20 years later, it seems perfectly reasonable to have people double checking things in this way. Like I couldn't imagine being in a hospital now and having a nurse just like walk in and not verify in any way and just give me something. Like having just spent some time in the hospital, like everything was double checked. My my identity was double checked every time they scanned, they read, you know, they double checked all the medications. Like it was it was serious. When I was doing pre uh, pre op blood work, they had 
to double verify, like multiple people checked my ID, checked, you know, when I told them my name and birth date and everything, because it was, a, they wanted to make sure that I was who I said I was and that the tests were, the right tests were being done and all that kind of stuff. It was like, a, it was a big deal. They wanted to just be very, very sure. Yeah. And just adding those redundancies, right? So instead of having human being the center, you add another layer and you add another layer and you add another layer. And the idea being the Swiss cheese model is that no layer is perfect, but if we have enough layers, then eventually if a mistake were to happen, one of the layers will catch it. So, you know, we're thinking about solutions when we're thinking about the Swiss cheese model, safety, whatever it can be, right? We've talked a lot about redundancies, having these backups in place in case we fail. And so I have a question for you, MJ. Go ahead. Do you know anyone who has a cell phone without a cell phone case? Me. You don't have a cell phone case? No, I don't even have a screen protector. <laughs> Why? Because I have an Android and they're very sturdy. That makes me so anxious. I don't have an iPhone. I know iPhones are very fragile, but I have an Android and they're very sturdy and... Yeah, they could take punishment and my screen has yet to crack. Wow. <laughs> you are the only person yeah. I know. I don't drop my phone that often too. That doesn't have a case on their phone. Like, I. Wow. Okay. Well, you just ruined my, uh, you just ruined my example that I was going to do. Um, I will say everyone else I know has a case and screen protector. I'm the, I'm the anomaly by all means. Right. So the, what I was going to say is like, you know, the most people uh-huh. have a case on their phone. Not weirdos like me. Yeah. <laughs> and then that you take it a step further by having a screen protector, on, right? Because like you, in case you do drop it, you've got the case, but if it lands screen down, you know, on the screen, then you've got the screen protector, but you're such a weirdo. That's, is this what ends the podcast the fact that i don't have a case and screen protector <laughs> no 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 it's fine no I, I actually the reason i thought about that example is because some of my colleagues in the injury center they were trying to promote uh, bicycle helmet use among kids oh yes and basically they did focus groups with kids and, and talk with them and the kids were like well, I don't think I'm going to fall. Uh huh. Of course. So, like, why? Why would I wear? Like, I don't think anything's going to happen. Why would I wear a helmet? Of course. And so then they asked him, "Well, do you, uh-huh. <gasps> do you have a cell a cell phone?" Ta da! Like, yeah, of course, because you never know when you're going to drop it. Right. Like, you don't know. Somebody might knock it out of your hands, or you might slip, or whatever. And basically, the the researchers at the injury center were like, "That's you." Well, that you are the phone. <laughs> that applies to riding your bike too, right? Like that's right. Your your head is is your phone right you never know what might happen and they created this really awesome little psa video and actually won a bunch of awards like it was fantastic i think we if you can let's put a link in the episode description but um it's just so great and it's just like you never know what might happen right there's only so many things that are in our control and even the things we think are in our control can be in we're in faux control right like other other humans may impact things or we can make mistakes or or trip or slip whatever um and so having these different protective layers or these redundancies in place can help prevent injury or death or whatever so anyway i got there in the end but you ruined my example (laughs) i i apologize but uh big shout out to android for having such a sturdy phone body and screen okay android android is an operating system that's not a type of phone what type of phone do you have that's true 
uh, Samsung. I had I had a Samsung once for three months. I I dropped it and it completely shattered and was totally inoperable. I had to get a new phone. That's okay. That's, yeah. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more and more people can learn about the wonderful omnipresent essence of public health. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at EverythingIsPH or Instagram at EverythingIsPublicHealth. Send us questions or comments to EverythingIsPublicHealth at gmail.com. Also reach out if you think we miss an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Crefasi. And if you're interested in seeing my delicious gluten-free baking creations, you can follow me on Instagram at CassPhD. Please also give us a rating and review on wherever you listen to your podcast. It does help us immensely. Don't forget to like, share, and comment as well. If you want to support the podcast directly, we have a Patreon page, and you can find the link for that in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.